You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, where we'll continue where we left off in our first service this morning. I hope you understand why we just sang, Christ Arose. Amen. We just sang it in conjunction with singing from our Psalters, the 16th Psalm, because both places speak of the same thing. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Those verses that were read to you from Psalm 16, the Lord Jesus Christ kept the glory of God and the promised joy before Him that enabled Him to go through the death of the cross and to give up the ghost and to commit His Spirit into His Father's hands. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He despised the shame and He knew that God would raise His body from the dead. Jesus did not go to hell when he died like the Apostles' Creed wants you to believe. It's this simple, brethren. To the thief on the cross, Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, not in hell. Jesus did not go to hell for three days. Jesus went to heaven. His body went to the grave, which in the Bible sometimes is described as hell. And even though it calls him a soul, that was in hell but not left there, the word soul does not always refer to your spirit that is separate from your body, but to the whole person or to part of the person. Many times in the Bible you'll read that they got ten souls in such and such a place. Well, did that mean they had a plastic bag with ten spirits in it? No, they had ten persons. You know, sailors are called hands, all hands on deck. Well, now what are you waiting to see? Fingers coming up the steps and down the steps, all hands on deck. But what do they mean by hands? Do they want you to bring your whole self, or can the rest of you stay in the rack? They want all of you. We speak that way. Don't be surprised when you find the word soul being left in hell. That was the body of Jesus Christ in the grave. You say you just gave us the sense of those words. Thank you. Amen. The Lord be praised. He gave me the sense of those words so that we can understand them together. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not go to hell in body, soul, or spirit. His spirit went back into the hands of God and the presence of God and his body laid in the grave for three days. And then as we sang, he tore the bars away. Oh, I love a Savior like that. Do you know what? When they challenged our Lord Jesus Christ and said, give us a sign that you're the son of God. He said, bury me. Kill me and bury me, and I'll come out in three days. Now, have you ever met a hero like that? That is our Savior. He said, you want a sign? I'll be in the ground three days and three nights, but I will come out. What man has ever forecasted his resurrection from the dead? The Lord Jesus Christ did. We are in Acts chapter 2. We saw in the first 21 verses that the apostles could speak in 16 languages fluently that they had never learned. And this was the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God upon them. The crowd was astonished and amazed at Galilean fishermen speaking the wonderful works of God in their languages. And there are 16 languages mentioned in verses 9 through 11. And then Peter said, Brethren, Peter, timid Peter, stood up on the day of Pentecost and lifted up his voice and said, I'll tell you what's going on. Now hear my words. 
Joel gave us a prophecy of this event, and he quoted five verses from Joel chapter 2, and he said, this is that. The day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now he has explained why they're all speaking in tongues. Now it's time to get to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what happens in verse 22. And let's go there quickly. Ye men of Israel, this is Peter preaching boldly. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Praise the Lord. Our brother could not be holden by death. And he has defeated death so that we can say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the victory because he defeated death first, and he is the first fruits of them that slept, and we shall follow behind. Our bodies will be raised from the dead and united with our souls and spirits in heaven if we were to die before the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Right. He will put us back together. And all those that have feared God in your family and love the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to raise them up as well Amen. and unite us all together in heaven. Peter now preaches the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit got the attention of all these Jews by the speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not gibberish. It's not babbling. It's not gibbering. It's not speech that you cannot understand. It is foreign languages. And we're told the foreign languages these men spoke in. That got their attention Now Peter is going to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a spirit-filled message. This is how men preach when they're full of the Holy Ghost. There is not going to be anything here about heaven. He's not going to say, do all of you and your children want to go to heaven when you die? He's not going to say, I want to tell you about the deep, deep love of Jesus. He's not going to say, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? He is going to preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sitting at God's right hand as Lord and Christ. And then he'll see what kind of a response he gets. Then you go to the next step. We preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and glorified in heaven as a king. And then let men do what they will with that before we tell them there is remission of sins. I love Acts chapter 2 because it tells me how to preach. In these three verses, Peter tells these Jews, Jesus of Nazareth was approved by God by all the miracles and signs that he did. It was God's determinant counsel. And here's the sovereignty of God. Look at that 23rd verse. Him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. That is why we are in this church. We believe in the sovereign government of God of the universe. And he had a plan for the Lord Jesus Christ and a purpose by grace to save us by his death. 
And it was his determinant counsel that delivered up the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't Judas. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was the determinant counsel of God that delivered up the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 tells us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was God's purpose. You know, Jesus told Pilate, you could have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. You better believe that, brethren. It was, he could have called 12 legions of angels. 6,000 per legion, 72,000 angels could have done a little damage to the city of Jerusalem. But it was a determinant counsel that had raised up the Lord Jesus Christ in his whole life was to keep that determinant counsel of the will of God. He was, he had his face set to go to Jerusalem his whole life. He told his mother when he was 12, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? And do you know what the father's business was? To save you. To save you. To send the Lord Jesus Christ to live a perfectly righteous life and to die on the cross for our sins that we can be saved from death, hell, and judgment to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want you to notice, though, in verse 23, it still says that they crucified him and took him by wicked hands. Even though God's purpose is being accomplished in the evil deeds of men, they will still be held accountable for those evil deeds. We do not put the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man at opposition to each other. We see them together because the Bible tells us so. Because God is able to use you while you're operating freely and you're making your choices most willingly and he's able to accomplish his purpose, that doesn't release you from guilt for sins that you commit. It just shows his sovereign government and incredible wisdom and power at being able to use creatures that can choose to accomplish his will that he chose before the foundation of the world. What a blessed God. We do not neglect either. These men would be judged. These men said, His blood be on us and on our children. I'm speaking of the ones with wicked hands that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ that were outside of the election of God. That blood came upon them in that generation, and they were judged. But it says in verse 24, Whom God hath raised up. That Jesus that you crucified, that Jesus that you so mistreated, he is risen from the dead because God has loosed him from the pains of death because it's impossible that the Son of God should be holden by the powers of death. And then he's going to prove his point. So he goes to Psalm 16, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him. And I want you to notice every one of these verses, every one of these words and phrases was written by David. Written by David in Psalm 16. But he was speaking and writing as a prophet about the Lord Jesus Christ. The first person here that is represented by the I is the Lord Jesus Christ, not David. David is writing as a prophet. I'm cheating by jumping ahead a few verses. Trust me, we'll get there soon enough. Just follow along and trust me for the moment. For David speaketh concerning him. David's talking about Jesus. And here he quotes from Psalm 16. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. 
Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Those are all statements from the Lord Jesus Christ that God did not forsake him and leave him in the tomb in his body. But his flesh rested in hope. His body was full of hope, laying in the grave for three days because it was going to come out. He knew the Lord wouldn't forsake him. He had joy in the prospect because he knew the Lord would deliver him from that grave. And so we have those four four verses. We see in these verses that Jesus could look past the cross and see the joy that was set before him and the reward of his Father in heaven so that he was able to go to death willingly. Stated in Psalm 16, taken by Peter and used here to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now these Jews that are standing here that have witnessed the speaking in foreign languages, they didn't see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. A Galilean fisherman that shows the power of God is upon him is telling them that Jesus has been raised up from the dead. Now they see the power of God upon Peter, so they have a strong reason to believe that Peter is telling them the truth. But now he goes to proof number two, and he quotes from their own Bible. Brethren, David wrote these words. Then he explains it this way in verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. We have in the city of Jerusalem David's tomb. We know, we know where it is, and we know David's body is there. Therefore, so it could, he couldn't have been speaking about himself, because he died and was buried, and he's still there today. A thousand years later. Therefore being a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him. That of the fruit of his loins. According to the flesh. He would raise up Christ. To sit on his throne. He seeing this before. Spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. Peter takes Psalm 16. And tells those Jewish men that are there astonished at the power of the Holy Ghost upon the apostles, and tells them, David was a prophet. What David said in Psalm 16 could not have been about himself, because he's buried and his tomb is here today. Therefore, being a prophet, it not applying to David, it must apply to David's son, that God had promised to him would sit on David's throne. So Psalm 16 proves that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was going to rise from the dead, and he has. This Jesus, now look at he adds in his own eyewitness account. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now there was a campfire a few days earlier, 50 days to be exact. There was a campfire where Peter was afraid to admit that he was even a friend of a man who was standing a few feet away. Now he's unafraid to declare that that man has been raised from the dead and that he's a witness of it. Look at him. This Jesus of Nazareth, 
approved by God with miracles among you. You've all heard about what he did up until 50 days ago. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Remember, he was standing with the other 11. So there are 12 apostles with tongues of fire on their heads, speaking in foreign languages fluently. There had been the, the, the rushing sound of a mighty wind. And now they're declaring, we have all seen the risen Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, but rose from the dead. And so Peter is preaching the gospel to these souls there in Jerusalem. The Lord got their attention by the Holy Spirit, and now Peter preaches them the gospel. So he starts to draw his conclusion. Therefore, based on what you see and what you've heard, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. You are seeing a visible demonstration of God's power, and you are hearing the explanation of it from the Bible. Third Bible passage quoted, Psalm 110, verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord, God the Father, said unto my Lord, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. See, Peter has, has just said, Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's seated in heaven, and he's dispensing these things that you see and hear in agreement with what David wrote in Psalm 110. Therefore, whenever you hear the word therefore, and I'm not trying to be trite, you ask, what is that therefore? Right. Because therefore is always drawing a conclusion. Now he drew a conclusion in verse 33 from the arguments that he laid. Now he adds another Bible passage to it, and he draws his final conclusion. Therefore, listen to Peter. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The man Jesus of Nazareth, that the city of the Jews and the Romans, 50 days ago, crucified on the cross of Calvary, that Jesus, God has raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand, and he is Lord. He is David's Lord. He is David's son. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ of God. He is King. How would you like to have slain God's King? Peter just told them they had done that, that they had crucified the Lord of glory. That Jesus, verse 36, that ye crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. And he had just read Psalm 110 to them, that God had said to Jesus, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And there's no one more of an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ than those who crucified him when they visibly saw that he was approved of God among them. Now, how would you like to hear that message? Is Peter, is Peter giving them the riot act? There's the God in heaven has raised up the one you crucified and put on his throne, and he is David's Lord, and he is your Lord, and he's the promised Messiah, and you're guilty of crucifying him. Two things can happen. 
Two things happen when men hear that message. They prove that they have eternal life in their souls by loving it. Or they prove that they are reprobates by hating it. Two things happen, and only two. You can't stay neutral to this kind of preaching. You can stay neutral to a whole lot of preaching that goes on today, but not this kind of preaching. You've got to do something about the Lord Jesus Christ. Either you're going to humble yourself before him, or you're going to stand up and fight him. In Acts chapter 7, a similar message is preached. And the crowd there stoned Stephen for preaching it. This crowd's a little different. It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. In Acts 7, it says, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They stopped up their ears. They ran on Stephen and stoned him to death. Acts 7, 60 verses long. Read it about the difference that it makes. The preaching of the gospel always works. Always works. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, Paul said, we, are, we always triumph in Christ when we preach because we are a sweet savour unto God in them with life and in those that are dead. Because the gospel is a sweet savour of life unto life and of death unto death. Right. When men rebel and ignore this message, it's proving that they do not have eternal life in them. And this is the purpose of the gospel. It separates men in the world. Those that are God's elect hear it, rejoice at it, they're pricked by it, and they want to do something about it. Right. Reprobates hear it, and they hate it. There is within them that devilish spirit that controls them, that hates the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want to kill the speaker for speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, look at this crowd. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What is that? What is that phrase? What shall we do? Do you know, I see the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What does it mean right here when it says, what shall we do? They were showing the fear of the Lord. They had just heard a message and they believed it in its entirety that Jesus Christ was Lord and they ought to be trembling before him. What shall we do to appease the wrath of God and his son who is our Lord and was David's Lord? What shall we do? When a minister hears a response like that, he knows he's got regenerate children of God before him. I don't read anything like this over in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen preached. I don't even get close to this. They were so angry they wouldn't even listen to him conclude, but they ran upon him with one accord. You know why it's one accord? They have a spirit motivating them, just like the children of God have one spirit motivating them, except it's the devil motivating them. In Acts 7, they killed our brother Stephen. But Peter witnesses a... Peter's never had this kind of evangelistic success in his life. This sermon isn't all that long, is it? This would only take a few minutes. Don't worry, they made up for it later. They preached this message, and those men said, Men and brethren... What shall we do? We are ready to do the works of God, whatever they are, to please the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. We believe that what you've just told us is the truth, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is Lord. What can we do? Then you hear this. 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's at that point that Peter presents the Savior, Jesus Christ. The, these men have already admitted, we're guilty. We're in trouble. What shall we do? Repent. Repent means to change your life. Turn away from the things of this world. Turn away from paganism. Turn away from your idea that you wanted to reject Jesus of Nazareth. Turn away from all that and turn toward what I just showed you. Turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your wickedness. Repent of your attitude toward Jesus of Nazareth and be baptized. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We do not get baptized in order to wash away our sins. We get baptized to show how our sins were washed away. We get baptized to lay claim to the Lord Jesus Christ that He is ours and we are His, and He has washed away our sins. The Bible tells us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience for what God has done, not the effort to get a good conscience, not an effort to get saved. It, these men were already born again, or they would not have said to the apostles preaching a message like this, men and brethren, what shall we do? These men were born again. But they needed to do something to answer God with a good conscience for the Lord having forgiven their sins. And so he said, repent. Turn from your sins. Turn toward righteousness. Turn from the hatred that the Jews have toward Jesus Christ and love him. Turn. And get baptized in his name. And do you know what baptism required? It required the humbling act of being buried underwater and raised up again out of the water in a picture of what Jesus Christ had done in order to put away sin. They knew about a Messiah. They knew about Isaiah 53. Peter just told them who it was. It was Jesus of Nazareth whom they had crucified. And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. Notice he didn't offer that to just anybody on the street. He offered that to a crowd of men that said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Amen. We don't go walking down the streets handing out the forgiveness of sins like it's cotton candy at a county fair. Right. We wait to see a child of God that's trembling before God and who loves the Lord and who wants to obey Him and all of a sudden sees the gospel, understands it, accepts it, humbles himself before it. To them we say, Jesus Christ is a Savior. Repent and be baptized and lay hold of eternal life by following Him in faith and obedience. Right. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had seen the gift of the Holy Ghost on the apostles, and now hear the apostles saying, this gift is not just to us. It's to anyone else that will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And you know the Bible tells us that. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32 where it says, These are the apostles speaking. We are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When a man calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ, repents of his sins and obeys him, he is given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now he's already born again. So he already has a new man within him. 
that is in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit, but he does not have the full, comforting, strengthening, personal ministry of that Holy Spirit until he obeys. It's when you take that new man and do something with it by obeying the gospel that the Holy Spirit comes on in the gift that we describe here. And to this day, while you're born again before baptism, which means you have a new man that is made, that is created in righteousness and true holiness, you do not have the full measure of the Holy Spirit for the strength of doing what God wants you to do until you believe and obey the gospel. This is the, this is the New Testament order. And if you disobey after that fact, you will grieve and quench that Holy Spirit and shortchange yourself again. And when you repent and confess your sins and seek the Lord, you will have that restored again. So that from the point of baptism on, it is a commandment, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. That means something you're supposed to do. Let God fill you. By submitting yourself to the Lord and begging Him for His Spirit in obedience. This is the word of the Lord, and I'm out of time. But that's the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we'll take up again next Sunday. Because we have more to say about this, because I don't want you to misunderstand the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we go back into the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a short period of time for a specific action. In the New Testament, it is the gift of God dwelling with us forever. He is with us permanently if we obey. He is with us permanently, and He is superabundant in all of our needs. He can open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of His law. He can give us the strength to bear the fruit of the Spirit by living like Jesus Christ. He can show us the love of Christ in all of its dimensions, according to Ephesians 3, but only if He is not quenched and not grieved. But we can't quit before verse 39. With 39, we quit for the promise. What promise? The promise Jesus Christ had told his apostles in John 14, in John 15, in John 16. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And when Peter says those words in verse 39, he is speaking to a Jewish audience. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And then he says this. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that is you and me. We are afar off. It doesn't matter where you're from. Wherever you're from is far off from Jerusalem, Israel. And that verse includes us. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form inside his people as a gift of his abiding presence to be with us until the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us and we are literally, physically, in the presence of God forever. Brethren, praise the Lord with me, the great gift of the Holy Ghost, and believe on Him this day. And if you've been baptized, then call upon Him for an abundant filling of His Spirit and confess your sins and He will come and strengthen you and fill you with confirming evidence in your heart that you are indeed the Son of God. And if you're not baptized, you ought to be like these men. Look what it says in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They gladly received this message. And they wanted to do something about it. And they got baptized that day. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men heard the gospel, heard Peter tell them that Jesus was king. They asked, what do we need to do? 
to please that God and Savior. Peter said, repent and get baptized. They gladly heard that word. They jumped into the pools and were baptized by the apostles. And that church jumped in attendance in one day from 120 to 3,120. And if you're wondering if their conversion stuck in comparison to Billy Graham's, then read the rest of Acts chapter 2. It stuck, brethren. you got to read the character of them. Believe me, we're going to look at the character of this Spirit-filled church. They love one another. They love the truth. And brethren, it says they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we are going to continue steadfast in what our apostle brethren did before us, and that is break bread in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.